book of Philippians chapter number 2, and I'd like to begin reading with verse number 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Our Father, I thank you for the Word of God and for another opportunity to preach your Word. And Lord, how I need you today. I pray the Spirit of God would enable me just to be a vessel that you could fill and use. You know every heart, you know every need. Help me to say exactly what needs to be said. Save that lost soul and revive the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to bring a message on this thought. Five things that Christ took upon himself on our behalf. Uh, if you have a Schofield Bible, it's the title there of the section, The Sevenfold Self-Humbling of Christ. I'm going to deal with five things in particular rather than seven. You can read those, if you come on down those verses there. Uh, but uh, he talks about the preexistence of Christ in verse 6, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now that is a, uh, a source of contention in our day, uh, who Jesus Christ really is. Uh, Brother Thomason was talking about a man that he works with and uh, who has not, is not convinced in his mind that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, that, to me, that is a, a fundamental of the faith. Jesus said, If you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. To reject the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the deity means He was God, uh, is, uh, of course, to be lost. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Bible tells us. Uh, Thomas, uh, you remember when Jesus gave that great, uh, those great verses on heaven in, in John 14, and, and uh, the conversation goes on, and, and uh, Thomas said, uh, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us, and the Lord Jesus says, He that has seen me has seen the Father. He says, You want to see the Father, God the Father? Look at me. And John 10, he says, I and my Father are one. So Jesus did not have his beginning in Bethlehem. He had his beginning as far as the flesh is concerned, but he existed in eternity past. Uh, there are some things that I don't comprehend. The Bible says he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. The book of Hebrews. 
you know, in our mind, we think, well, there had to be a start somewhere. And yet the Bible declares that God is eternal. And that means He existed. In Psalm 9, He said, From everlasting to everlasting, Thy art God. Before there was an angel, before there was an earth, before there was a planet, before there was a star, before there was a sun or the moon, before there was a man, before there was anything, there was God. God existed before there was anything. The personal name of God is Jehovah. Jehovah means the self-existent one. God is existent within himself. That cannot be said about anything else. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. He gives to all life and breath and all things. I could not get one more breath if it wasn't for the Lord. I owe everything to him. Life itself. Everything that I am, everything that I have, everything I owe to Him. I am dependent on Him, and so is all of creation. But God does not need me. He does not need you. He does not need anything. Before there was anything, there was God. God has always been. Now, if you can understand that, you can understand something I can't understand. I cannot comprehend. That's why you have to accept it by faith. <laughs> because you can't figure everything out. <laughs> you have to take it by faith. And so he talks about this preexistence of Jesus. He was in the form of God. He was equal with God. He was God. God the Father, God the, uh, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, there, there's not three gods, there's one God, yet manifested in three persons. But all are equal, and all are God. And this is a great truth. Now, Jesus came into this world. When you think about that, you think about who God is, how great God is. God is eternal. And yet, why this God? You know, the psalmist in Psalm 8 says, when I consider thy, thy heavens, the work of the, the moon, the, the stars, the work of thy fingers. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would God even bother with you and I? After all, we're the biggest rebels in all of creation. Why would God bother with us? And yet, of all that God has created, he cares more about you and I than any other part of his creation. You are important to God. How important? Bible said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You are more important than, than this whole earth. You mean a great deal to God so much that he was willing to do some things to take upon himself, first of all, a physical body. He was willing to come down into this world and take a body of flesh and identify with humanity so that he could be our Savior. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 3.16, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That God himself 
who has so much power that he spoke this earth into being. The Bible said the worlds were framed by the word of God, that God has so much power he can speak and it immediately happens. And the Bible said this God came down and lived among men. He came down and he was manifest in the flesh that we could identify with him. Now the Bible tells us in John 1.14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now the word there was in John 1.1, beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and, and the word was made flesh, that God became flesh. We call this the incarnation. That God took a body of flesh. And Colossians 1, or 2 rather, Colossians 2 verse 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We've already talked about that, that, that uh, Jesus Christ was very God. And uh, uh, the question arises then, why did he take a body? We know that he took a body of flesh. Why did he do that? Why would God become flesh? Why would he take this physical body upon himself? For one primary reason, according to Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus who, for, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Why did he take a body? so that he could pay the debt of sin, which is death. He said he took a body for the suffering of death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now the only payment people, a lot of people think, well, I'm not so bad. I try to do right. I know I'm not perfect, but I try to live right, and I think I'll be all right. That sounds good, but it just don't work that way. Uh, and uh, the fact is that we owe a debt of sin. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. Not the wages of sin is doing the best you can. The wages of sin is death. And the only payment for sin is death. That's the only payment God accepts for sin is the payment of death. And Jesus Christ took a body of flesh so that he could pay that debt because God cannot die. God is from everlasting to everlasting. He had to take a body, the Bible says, for the suffering of death. Now that's the only way I can get, I can get off, basically. Uh, I'm, I'm a guilty sinner. And the wages of sin's death the only way I can get my sin paid, the only payment for that sin is death. Either I die or somebody dies for me. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He died uh, for us. Now Jesus Christ, when he took a body of flesh, he made a decision to eternally identify with man. Jesus Christ, once he took a body, will always have a body. Now in physical death, uh, the soul and spirit are separated from the body. Uh, that uh, 
but the body is resurrected and glorified and reunited. Except if we die before the Lord comes back, uh, we and uh, you know we will temporarily be outside of our body during that period of time. But otherwise, we will always have a body for eternity, a glorified body. Thank God for that. I'd hate I'd hate the thoughts of being confined to this body forever. Wouldn't you? Uh, you know, that's God had mercy there in the Garden of Eden when he drove Adam and Eve out and put the fiery turbans and a flaming sword lest man would get back to the tree of life and eat and live forever. That means that people would get sick and old and more feeble, but they could never die. Death is a blessing. If you're saved, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But uh, Jesus has a body now. You remember after his resurrection, you, uh, what, what kind of body? If you, if you want to know what kind of body we'll have in the resurrection, read about Jesus after his resurrection. And uh, in Luke 24, 39, he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, and they thought they had seen a spirit. And the Lord says, Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. What will the body be like? We know it will be flesh. We know it will be bones. I don't think we'll have any blood. I believe the new body will, uh, it'll be a spiritual body, the Bible says. Jesus' new body didn't have any blood in it. And uh, he could go through a door without opening it. Yet he was tangible. You say, that's impossible. Well, uh, and with man, yes, but not with God. It happened. Uh, you know, if, if, if someone suddenly appeared back there through those doors and the door didn't open, uh, that shocked me. I don't know about you. I'd probably react like the disciples. That has to be a ghost. <laughs> that can't be real. And the Lord said, handle me. The Lord says, touch me. I'm real. And he ate, he ate with them, ate, literally ate with them uh, in that body. Jesus Christ has a body in heaven right now. Now in Acts 1, 9, he went back to heaven while the disciples observed and they questioned them there in verse 11 and says, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus which you've seen go up into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. He's coming back just like he went away, literally, bodily. And First Timothy, or Second Timothy, I believe it is, 2, 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We have a man in heaven represented us. He has a physical body. So he took a physical body for the suffering of death. Not only that, but he took poverty. Jesus did... I was not born in a palace. He was the creator. He left the riches of heaven. He had it all. And uh, yet he left it all to become our Savior. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He was rich, became poor, that we who were poor might be rich. Now, you're looking at a rich man today. 
Now, I hadn't inherited it yet, but I'm about to. <laughs> I hadn't claimed it, but I'm about to. Jesus was rich, yet he became poor that we might become rich. Now, he chose to be born in a stable. Luke 2, 7 says, She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, I used to read that and I'd feel sorry for Jesus. And I'd say, you know, why, you know, here's a woman, she's expecting a child at any moment. Why didn't someone give them their room? And uh, but the Bible said there was no room in the inn, and yet God planned it this way. Because the Lord wanted him to be born in a stable. See, all through the Old Testament scriptures, they brought the animal sacrifice and shed the blood and and the Lord was identifying with those types and symbols of the Old Testament that pointed to His coming. And that was all in the plan of God. The Bible said they wrapped Him in swaddling clothes. What kind of clothes were those? I've done a study on that, and, and it was a great blessing to me when I understood what that was talking about. It was really grave clothes what they wrapped this little boy, baby boy in. And the strips of cloth that they wrapped the dead in, three or four inches wide, and they'd make a layer of cloth, a layer of spices, a layer of cloth, and a layer of spices. And uh, their, uh, of course, uh, type of, of the burial of the dead, and Jesus Christ was wrapped in that kind of clothing, illustrating the purpose of his coming. But he was born in a stable, Jesus Christ never owned a piece of property, never owned a home. In fact, the Bible says in Luke 9, 58, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And you find on occasions where that he would heal the multitudes and preach to them, and then he would go into a desert place. And sometimes I read that in the Bible, and I wonder why some of them didn't invite him home with them. Jesus Christ, he said, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. It shows the attitude many times of the world toward him. He came in poverty. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea in Luke 23, 53. Of course, that's all right. Uh, he wasn't going to use it but a little while anyway. <laughs> Three days and he is coming out of there. You know, they did a test. They did a test uh, on that tomb there. I've been there. And they've determined that no corruption was ever in that tomb. There was no dead, nobody ever was dead. Uh, was Because when a person dies, you know, they, they deteriorate. But the Bible said he did not see corruption. <laughs> you see, his body did not see corruption. That's amazing. Uh, you remember they said about Lazarus, by now he stinketh but not Jesus. He took upon himself a physical body. He took upon himself poverty. He took upon himself, number three, public ridicule. You know, nobody likes to be laughed at, do they? You know, sometimes when you're growing up, children can be cruel, can't they? And, uh, and uh, have, you ever, have you ever been laughed at? It kind of hurts, don't it? And sometimes adults do that. They 
Uh, they, they laugh and ridicule, public ridicule. Jesus Christ was subjected to shame and ridicule. In Mark 6, he went back to the city of Nazareth where he grew up, and they said, Why, is not this a carpenter's son? Uh, we know his mother, we know his brothers and his sisters. Who does he think he is? They just thought they knew him. I don't care who, how you grow up. I don't care if someone comes along and they can speak to a stormy sea and it obeys them. <laughs> I know right off this person's different. If they can take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000, that's no normal man. <laughs> There's something different about this man. If he could open the blinded eyes and and uh, heal the leper and raise the dead. I've never seen anybody do that. I can't do that. Something unique and different about this man. But he suffered public ridicule. The Bible said in Psalm 22, verse 7 and 8, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. The Bible said they laughed at him. They made fun of him when he was hanging on the cross. They went by, went by wagging their heads and making fun of him and laughing at him. And saying, if you're the son of God, get off of the cross. Let's see you do that. He suffered public ridicule and shame. Hanging on the cross, they stripped him off naked in shame and disgrace. He did that for you, my friend. He did that for me. He suffered the shame and the ridicule of society so that we will not have to go to an awful hell. Then not only that, but he suffered pain on the cross. Bible says in Isaiah 50 verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to him, to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. I think one of the most disgraceful things anyone could ever do is spit in, spit in your face. Can you imagine that? The Bible said they spit on him. They beat his back. They plucked off his beard. Jesus Christ, you remember, when he had met with the disciples there and instituted the Lord's Supper and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there they took him. Judas comes, one of the twelve, who was a devil from the beginning and betrays the Lord. And into the hand of his enemies, they examined him that night. I have been to that place that's believed where they kept him that night. They would put a rope. There was a round hole that went down into this room. Now there's stairs that go down in there. And they said that they would put a rope around them and lure them into that. Then the rope was removed and there was no way of escape. And in the morning they bring him before Pilate with the false charges that they drummed up against him and Pilate examines him and said, I find no fault in him. Someone said, he's some Galilee. He said, oh, that's Herod's territory. I'll get this off of my hands. And he sends him over to Herod. Herod had heard about him. Herod, you remember, had John the Baptist's head cut off. 
uh, and uh, he had heard about Jesus, thinking, well, maybe this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. And he tries to get Jesus to entertain him and perform a miracle. And Jesus refuses, so he sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate realizes that the crowd is crying for blood, and nothing will satisfy them except the death of Jesus. But he delivers Jesus there to be scourged. History tells us the scourge was a cat of nine tails, nine separate strips of leather. And embedded in that, in that leather was pieces of bone or glass or rock or metal or something like that. And when they brought it across the back, that it would literally slice the back open. And the psalmist says, they plowed long their ferrets. And he said, I may tell my bones that, that they sliced his body to the evident of the rib cage. The, the ribs were visible. They tell us that many times people would, prisoners would die under the scourging. And sometimes they would get too low with, those, with that whip and it would slice the abdomen open and the internal organs would fall out. And they beat Jesus and scourged him, spit in his face, pulled his beard out, put a crown of thorns on his head and a reed in his hand and come by and grab the reed and hit him on the head and say, uh, prophesy. They blindfold him and say, prophesy to us, Jesus. Who smote you? You know everything. And they ridiculed him and laughed at him and made fun of him. Pilate brings Jesus back before the crowd. And the Bible also said they buffeted him. And the word buffet means just ball up your fist and hit a person. You know what the Bible says about Jesus after they had done that? Isaiah 52, 14, his visage was so marred more than any man. Isaiah 53, 2, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. His visage, his face was marred more than any man. And the Bible said they hid their faces from him. He looked so horrible, they could not stand to look at him. These pictures uh, that you have painted with Jesus on the cross with a little blood trickling from the hand and a little blood trickling down from the brow. It wasn't that way, my friend. I believe his face was beaten and swollen. I believe he was a bloody mess. I believe his back was bloody and, and the blood was oozing out and down his body and down his legs. And I believe Jesus was horrible, a horrible sight to behold. But that did not satisfy the crowd. They kept crying, crucify him, crucify him. We want him dead. Nothing will please us except he's dead. And they take the hammer and the spikes, and those spikes were about a foot long. And they put those spikes through his hands and through his feet, and they nailed Jesus Christ to a cross. Psalm 22, 16 said, They pierced my hands and my feet. And Psalm 22, 14 said, All his bones were out of joint. That evidently, when they... Uh, when they raise him up and drop that cross into that hole. 
Some believe that that's what created this. But in Psalm 22, 13 said, They gaped upon him with their mouths as a raven and a roaring lion. And they lift him there between heaven and hell to hang on a cross for you and for me. I should have been crucified, not him. But I want to tell you there's suffering beyond the outward suffering. There's suffering beyond the torture and on that cross. They tell us that, you know, if you stretch a person out tall on a, on a cross, then they can't breathe. That's why they broke the, the, the legs of the thieves. When they broke their legs, they smothered to death. They suffocated. But they would bend the legs slightly. And that way, when, when, they breathe, when, they, when they breathe, they would have to push against that. Can you imagine Jesus with that spike through his legs, through his ankles? And he's having to push against that and pull against his hands to inhale. And then when he exhaled, he has to relax down. And the process is repeated. And his back is sliced open. And he has to rub against that cross with every breath. And there he hangs for six long hours in that horrible condition. When I was building my house, I fell and broke six ribs, punctured a lung. I was in the hospital about a week. And with every, it was, every breath was painful. And I thought in my mind, I wonder what Jesus went through. But beyond that suffering, beyond that, he had to pay my penalty of sin, which is death in hell. He had to suffer my hell. And I believe on that cross, hanging there on that cross, I believe he felt the very fire of hell itself. I believe he experienced an eternity of, of burning and screaming and pain and agony. In fact, the psalmist talks about the sorrows of hell and the pains of hell that he experienced, I believe, hanging there on that cross. He suffered my penalty. The Bible said, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. In fact, in fact, if you doubt that Jesus Christ went through hell on the cross, I challenge anybody to, to study the crucifixion and compare it with hell. He said, I thirst. The rich man in Luke 16 begged for water in hell. The Bible said there was a darkness over all the earth from the sixth hour, from 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Hell is a place of outer darkness. And everything that, that, that a person experiences in hell, Jesus experienced on the cross. I do not believe that he went to hell after he left the cross. Literal, the fire of hell. I believe he went to paradise as he promised. But Jesus Christ experienced my pain and for six hours he took my pain and my punishment. Here and back in Philippians chapter 2, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. That's why I don't like some of the new versions of the Bible. Because they change, they change the blood 
to, the de to, to death. You say, what's the difference? All the difference in the world. Jesus Christ could have died in bed. He could have died, he could have died accidentally. Listen, Jesus had to die and shed his blood. He had to die on the cross. And it's amazing that those Old Testament scriptures predicted crucifixion when, when the crucifixion was not even known in those days. The Jewish method of death, of capital punishment, was stoning, not crucifixion. That was a Roman method that came along many years later. And yet that was the suffering that Jesus went through. He did it all for you, my friend, and for me. He died the death of the cross. He said in John 10, 18, No man taketh it from me, but I, have, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. You may take your life, but you can't put it back, pick it back up that Jesus did. Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Now Jesus is hanging on a cross. And he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the only time Jesus ever referred to his Father as God. Why did he do that? Because God is not the Father of the unsaved. And he was dying the death of the sinner. The Bible said he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And when Jesus cried out in John 19, verse 30, it is finished. I want to tell you, it was finished. Now for those that, for those that teach that Jesus had to burn in hell for three days and nights, if that be true, then it wasn't finished, was it? The Bible says, Jesus said, it is finished. And I want to tell you, it's done. There's nothing left for me to do except receive it. And that's the hardest thing in the world for human beings to, to, to deal with is they, they think, well, I've got, to, I've got to help God out. I've got to do something. And the fact is there's nothing we can do except receive it. Now Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, to them which are in Christ Jesus. God don't have anything against me because Jesus took my place. John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Have you trusted him today? Have you received him? You say, I believe in Jesus. Listen, I've always believed in Jesus. I don't ever remember a time when I didn't believe Jesus died on the cross. When he rose from the dead, I, I've always believed that as fact. But there came a time in my life when I understood why he died. I understood he died for me. I understood that I needed to receive him and receive his payment for my sin. And I trusted him. I asked him to forgive me. I asked him to save me, and God did that, and he changed my life, and I've never been the same. If you're saved this morning, he did that for you.
Are you different? We don't get the cart before the horse. We don't, well, I, you know, I, I'm going to straighten my life up, then I'm going to get saved. No, got it reversed. You get saved, then your life changes. You're different. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Greatest thing in the world is to know Jesus Christ and know him personally. I don't just know about him. I know him personally. He's real. I can talk to him. And he's real. He's not a historical figure. He is a reality who lives inside of me. Do you have that personal relationship with the Lord? He did it for you. He wants to be your Savior if you've not trusted him. Let's bow our heads, please.